Hi, I'm Kadir from the band Rudra and I happen to be an 80s kid. I think no one happens to be always something. We pick it up at a particular point of uh, time as, as, we, as we grow up. So I picked up music very, very at a very young age because my father was a musician. So I grew up in a family uh, listening to uh, Tamil tunes and Hindi tunes as far as I can't even remember actually. So I, will, uh, I grew up in that sense in a family that appreciated music. So, uh, but when it came to rock music, I think uh, my father introduced me to rock music. At that time, he didn't know it was rock music because he plays, at that time, it, there's a TV show called Solid Gold. You know, and then there were, there were lots of cassette tapes, you know, so, uh, volumes and compilations. And through that, I discovered uh, early rock bands. Uh, and I remember listening to Santana at a very, very uh, early age. And then uh, by the time I turned um, 15, 16, I started to listen to heavy metal bands. Uh, Def Leppard, Motley Crue and all of that. And then a little later I got into extreme metal, uh, which is a specific genre, like bands like Slayer, uh, Sepultura, Death, Obituary and all of these bands. Primary school, I, I, at my, I attended uh, organ classes, you know, playing the organ, I attended that and of course I gave it up very quickly. And then after that I never ventured into learning any instrument. I started to learn uh, playing an instrument only in 1990, the first year of my polytechnic life. My introduction to metal probably came through my classmates in secondary school. And I remember one of my uh, classmates who was a huge fan of Def Leppard. And he, he, he introduced me to uh, uh, Def Leppard's uh, Hysteria. I think it's an amazing album. That really impressed me so much that I, I realized that rock music can be so pleasant. And I think I was quite lucky because it was Def Leppard's Hysteria, right? It was a very big hit at the time. It was um, one of the biggest selling albums of all time. And then from, from, I think from these friends, I started to discover many of the bands like Motley Crue, uh, King Diamond and stuff like that. And by the time I went to Polytechnic, I met a larger group of uh, uh, friends who were all into rock music. And that's when we used to exchange tapes. And by the time it was compact CDs, used to exchange compact discs that we would buy and then we got introduced to more bands. So yeah, my, my life at Yen Polytechnic has been very, very uh, instrumental to who I am, what I am today because that's when I got to um, uh, form Rudra. Rudra was formed in, uh, when I was studying in Yen Polytechnic. At the time all the members were students. And that's when also, that's where uh, I got uh, introduced to many different bands that really inspired me. Yeah, at that time, yeah, there were a lot of metal hits because I used to hang out at, uh, uh, at the canteen and we all would hang out there and, you know, it's, it's early lunch, brunch and music. At that age, I kind of, I kind of shunned anything that was pop. Yeah, somehow, because there's a, I think, at that time, all metalheads want to be cool, and I also wanted to be cool. And one of, one of the ways to be cool is not to listen to pop music. So uh, at that time, we, don't, we, we, we were not interested in trying to listen to new pop bands or pop artists. Uh, by that time, we closed that chapter. Uh, but, that did, but that did not mean that I was uh, averse to pop music, just that I stopped venturing and exploring. 
as metalheads, we always want to do something different, something that no one thinks about in that sense. We also, I think I also, I've learned so much from metal bands, right? So there could be an element that could help people discover something great. There is another trajectory, I think, that, that we had in our uh, history, which is my interest in Indian philosophy. So in, the, in my national service, I, I got into national service in 93. And at that time, I started to study world philosophy, Greek philosophy especially, and of course religious philosophy, and also a lot of Indian philosophy. And that, got, that became a very dominant part of my life at that time until today. Alright, so I've been a big huge fan of Indian philosophy and I, I had the opportunity to learn this from great masters as well. I'm very particularly um, influenced by a, a Vedic philosophy called Advaita Vedanta, which means a non-dualistic uh, philosophy that, that originated probably about 3,000 years ago. So that is a philosophy that I got really much fascinated by at that age. So I started, I started to delve into it very much. That required me to also study the ancient language Sanskrit. So I also got into the a proper study of Sanskrit as well. So when I started to do that, I realized that that was something very unique and it's very interesting. We chose a band name that was very uh, ancient, Rudra. And then and at the same time, at, in 94, I started to get into Indian philosophy. So I spoke to the guys at the time and said, at the time we had a fourth member, his name is Silvan. So I said, hey guys, you know, why don't we do something unique? So that's when uh, all of this, all, I mean, the whole band agreed that, yeah, maybe we should do this. Of course, there were a few, a uh, couple of guys, one or two guys who were very skeptical, but I did not, I did not, um, I did not, uh, what I call, uh, let go of that idea. I said, no, we have to be different. If we can't, if we, are, if we cannot be different, we will not survive. That was my conclusion. If we're just going to be just another band, then we're just another band. We'll just be on the shelf with every other band. And that's when, uh, it dawned on us that we could possibly uh, bring two distinctive elements into our music. Number one is the lyrical ideas. The lyrical ideas could then be the philosophical exploration that I was taking. And then uh, the second dimension um, was Indian music. So we started to imitate and listen to the good. The, the good thing is because Shiva and I uh, are huge fans of Indian music. So that made it very easy for us. It was very easy to transpose the ideas into guitar. So we even, we even invented uh, what I call the drone styles on guitars. So it's like a drone that sounds like a sitar or a tampura, which is the Indian instrument. So we created that drone effect on the guitar, so to create that feeling. That was our first, our first, uh, what I call attempt at bringing those ideas into the guitar riffs in, 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 in metal. So there is a spiritual dimension, right? The moment you talk about anything bigger than the self, it becomes spiritual, so you can't deny it. And the fact that it has a religious connotation because you're using Sanskrit, which, which is often related to Indian philosophy, Indian religion or Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, all of that, you know, fall in the same category. On another side, I would say there is no attempt to try to make another person believe in what we are saying. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of an artistic expression, I would say, because we do, we're not make, using this as a platform for uh, proselytizing people or trying to get people interested in what we're doing. No, it's an expression. 
is like a dance, right? When you when you watch uh, an Indian dance, most of the Indian traditional dance revolve around religion and spirituality. But that doesn't mean you need to subscribe to it. So that's the difference. In the early 90s, we wanted to be rock stars, big, huge rock stars touring the world and stuff like that. By the time we went to, when we found our first job, we realized that that's not going to happen. All right, primarily because we know that in Singapore or Number one, in Singapore, we cannot be, it's quite difficult to be a musician full-time. And we did not want to play in clubs and that was something we were very, very clear about. So you see, in the early 90s, and this was during our polytechnic times, we were invited to play at a pub somewhere in Clarkey, I don't even know where it is right now. So we went to the pub, we set up our instruments, we played, and there were a couple of people in the audience. None of them were looking at us. Every one of them were busy with their drinks. And we felt so horrible playing to an audience that wasn't appreciative. So we knew that at that time that there's something that we didn't want to do was to play in a club or a pub. During those um, early years, like you know, me, uh, Shiva and Bala, the, the first, the Mark one of the band, uh, we used to practice in Bala's uh, bedroom at times. So when we leave the, his home and we, you know, we were gonna go out just right after jamming in the early morning. Our days are very, very, uh, during the vacation especially, it's all planned. The only thing we do is jam, right? We wake up six, seven, and we meet at Bala's place, we jam for about four or five hours, and after that we leave, we have lunch, we go to the, we go to city, to all the record stores, or we go to Peninsula, which is still a hub for buying um, musical instruments. Uh, that's what we will do. So whenever we leave, and we leave, the, we leave his home, there's a very high chance the police would stop us for the mere fact that we wear black t-shirts and rock t-shirts, right? So we get, we'll get stopped and then we have to take out an RIC, they'll do a screening and we will be laughing our heads off and they'll be so irritated by that, by the fact that we are laughing because we got nothing to, we got nothing, we, nothing to hide, right? Metalheads, I think uh, our dress sense have, uh, has not changed, you know? It's just still black rock t-shirts and that's it. Black jeans or blue jeans, that's it, that's all. That's what we used to wear. I could understand uh, their fears, right? Because rock music has been associated with drugs, and drugs is a big problem in Singapore, even I think even now, right? There's always been a big problem, so they, they wanted to probably, you know, prevent uh, such things from being a menace to society, I guess. So that's the kind of thing association people had uh, with metal music. But that changed when uh, Metallica got a Grammy Award. And that was, I think, a huge shift. This was, I think, the late 80s and then 90s, but that's happened in the US. And then the next wave was grunge, which was Nirvana. I think Nirvana's Nevermind album has radically changed the way people looked at rock music and heavy metal. With smells like Teen Spirit, hits like Come As You Are, and stuff like that in the early 90s, people started to become very, very, um, what you call comfortable with rock music and heavy metal because Smells Like Twin Spirit wasn't a very pop song, it was very heavy, very loud. And then came Metallica's The Black Album, Enter Sandman, and, and that again created another shift in the way people looked at rock music and metal. That helped us. By the time in the mid-90s, all of us started having jobs, and some of us were working in the civil service, some of us were working in multinational corporations, and all of us became very comfortable being who we are. We used to wear, you were executives by day, and then metal hits in the weekends, you know, or playing shows in the weekends or metal hits in the studios. Uh, we, we were chosen to play at uh, a concert organized by the Big O magazine. I think many of you may know 
uh, the big old magazine of course is now defunct. Um, so they had this concert at the World Trade Center Amphitheater, which doesn't exist anymore, right, very sadly. It's a very historical place in, uh, for us especially. So we were playing there. We played uh, at a, a new school, new school of rock, I think it's called. It's a competition and at the same time it's a showcase. So we played there and then a, a couple of guys saw us there and they were very amazed. They were very amazed because of just a single reason. They, never, they have never seen three Indian boys playing rock music. Right? That was a very rare thing at that time. We were so surprised. What are these three boys doing? They're supposed to be doing something else, spending their time in discotheques perhaps. But not, should not be playing in a band. They're so surprised by that. And then they came up to us and said, you know what? Wow, great. That was really great. It's a great performance. Why don't you guys uh, hang out, you know, hang out with us? And there were two, um, I think two groups of uh, metalheads actually usually hang out in two distinct, two specific places in Singapore. One was at the Forum. The forum still exists today. And the second one was Plaza Singapore, it still exists today. But of course not in the form that it looks like today. So at the time, we were part of the metal fraternity in uh, Plaza Singapore. So we used to hang out every Saturday right there. I think you can see on Saturday nights at about after 7pm a sea of black. You know, black t-shirts, guys with black t-shirts all wearing metal t-shirts like the one I'm wearing right now. Um, hanging out right there. Um, and then we would... Uh, um, exchange tapes, exchange CDs, talk about the bands, look at magazines, read magazines. That's how we get to know about different bands and other bands across the globe. So that was the metal scene at that time. The first time we realized with an audience when we started to play outside Singapore actually. Yeah. 2001 was the first time we left uh, Singapore, right? I mean, it was in India actually. And then in India, we were in New Delhi. And then we were headlining a, a festival in a university. There were 3,000 people there and we were shocked. And there were guys singing our songs and they, were, they knew some of them, they knew and some of them they never knew they were watching us for the first time. And then that's when we realized that we had an audience outside Singapore. And then until later in 2000, uh, after that we started to get invitations to play in neighboring regions like Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, so we played many shows in these this places and we had an audience. And the, the strange thing was every time we went outside India, we always had a bigger audience than we usually have in Singapore. It's always the case. There were times uh, uh, we had thousands of people in, in, in the audience. And we went to even remote regions of even India like Dunbar. And then slowly we went out of Asia. And then we went, to the, our first tour outside Asia was in the US. We did a three-state tour in 2007 and again we had an audience. We were, in a, we were co-headlining a festival and then we realized that there were so many bands that so many people who knew us and we never knew that people knew us until we were in the US. And then we again we went again out uh, about 10 years ago, we toured Canada, we went on a seven city tour in Canada and again people came out. Uh, all the advice that we have gotten have not been good advice and we are very glad that we did not follow it. I remember playing in a, a, a studio in Peninsula Plaza, I'm not going to mention what studio it is. And this guy came out and said, this is shit. He said, what you're playing is shit, it's, it's crap. And someone else uh, told us that you should never play an extreme form of music, you know, you should play music that is more mainstream. We didn't take that advice. Because if you look at the history of uh, music in Singapore, it does appear that the metal musicians in, the, in Singapore probably survived longer than any other genre. I mean, we have 10 albums to our belt. Right? I mean, 
There are also other bands like Impiety and who also have so many albums uh, on their discography. See, we look at um, survivability in that sense, right? To survive in this industry, the metal bands have done better in that sense, to survive. So there is a strategy that is working. But if you look at uh, pop artists, you don't have that many, right? Um, but the whole point is not, we don't need advice, but what we need is direction. A lot of times, we don't need people to tell us what is, what is right and what is wrong. A lot of us know what is right and what is wrong. But what we need is people to open spaces for us, open the doors for us. Now, if you look, if you look at historically in music, every genre was created as, an, as part of the evolution of music. It was always someone who wanted to do something different. But if someone had stopped them, then we wouldn't have that genre today. So that's how I see it. So sometimes it's good not to take advice yeah, and, and do what is relevant and of course in a very wholesome way. What we need is people to allow, allow us, give us opportunities. I'm not talking about, uh, when I say us, I'm talking about local musicians all right, who play music that is not perhaps in the mainstream genre. But the moment spaces are open, giving right direction, being coached, that's very important. Uh, I think artists need to be coached in that sense, not, not, not giving advice. Coaching is quite different from giving advice. Now, I wish there was more discussion around, uh, or rather more activity around artists who can learn how to make their career sustainable. And that requires a very clear strategy. In Rudra, we, we do that from time to time. We huddle from every three, four years to re-strategize. What's our strategy for the next three years? And this is what we're going to do, or the next five years, what we're going to do. So I think something like that can be very helpful so that, so that our first musician's contribution can be sustainable before they go, before they experience a burnout and they give up. I think um, I enjoy, um, I, I mean, I'm not speaking for the rest here, I'm just speaking for myself. I enjoy expression of uh, an idea. So I look at uh, music as an expression of your feeling and thoughts. So whenever I write a song with my bandmates, and of course all four of us write together, mostly when it comes to music, we, the, that music has to touch me. So I like that, that experience of that calm and tranquility that I experience when I play the loudest of music and the most probably aggressive of songs. And I still feel very good with it. There is a calm within even when I'm screaming. Yeah, it is cathartic. Yeah, you can't deny it. So I'm screaming and I'm headbanging and I'm, and I'm playing the music and I'm writing the music in the studio. And, I, and then I'm... And, that, at that, at the, and in those moments, it's purely yeah, catharsis. And people always doubt that, right? Interestingly, like yesterday, the whole of yesterday, I was listening to Kawalis. Uh, because one of my... Uh, the whole morning, right? With my wife as well, both of us, we were listening to Kawalis because one of my... Uh, favorite Kawali singer is a lady by the name of Abhida Parveen. So Abhida Parveen is one of those musicians that I don't understand what she's singing to be very honest because I don't understand the language but I can understand her emotion. Wow, amazing, goosebumps. So Abhida Parveen is one of my all-time favorite singers uh, that I discovered, I only discovered her like 10 years ago but um, I, I always tell, my wife and I will always have this conversation because she understands uh, Hindi but she's, she's Hindi speaking. I don't understand Hindi. I don't understand um, um, Urdu as well, which are usually the languages, or even Punjabi that Abhidhar Parveen sings. 
but I could but I could clearly understand where she's coming from right so that really puts me uh, songs can really put me I'm not talking about just classical songs even metal songs can put me in a state of calm I think to me the study of philosophy makes me a better human being I think that's why I used to be better I I don't think there's something good because good is very subjective it helps me to be I think playing in our in our home country uh to an audience to a big audience that is really ha- having a good time and i think that's a very uh, it's it, it shows that I mean we are singaporeans all right we are singaporeans um, first and last right so uh, being able to um, be comfortable in our own country right being accepted is a very big thing for us so you can see basically the twelve clouds on the first performance that that allowed us to you know to be accepted in that sense and then thirdly um, headline I think the opening the doors firstly I think in 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 Singapore is in Singapore especially uh, is allowing metal bands to play in mainstream spaces 